where we go and where we hang out, what we do and what we watch, is there darkness? Would the Lord be grieved if we're hanging out there? And then we come into church and we think everything is cool. It doesn't work that way. And that's the point he's trying to make here. Verse 22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. We can have an escape route. He is faithful is what the apostle says. Remember that. He is faithful. He is faithful. And a lot of times when people fall into temptation, they want to throw it over on God. And Paul says, listen, that he makes a way of escape and God is faithful. It's not his failure. So therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, many of the Christians that Paul is writing to, again, come out of idol worship, bowing down to images, offering sacrifices to them. But I want to pause pause for a minute here because as I was looking at this, and I was thinking about this even this morning, this kind of caught my attention. And that was Paul saying to these believers there at Corinth, he says, my beloved. Now, here are a group of Christians that had a lot of problems. Paul has been addressing those problems, hasn't he? They were a carnal church. They were a divided church. There was sin that was in the church. They were a group of Christians that were far from where they should have been spiritually. They even looked down upon Paul in his apostolic ministry, questioning his authority as an apostle. And as some of them had little regard for Paul, he still had love for the saints. And what he is saying to them at this time is written in the kindness of intentions, in the deepest of affections. He is speaking to them out of his love for them. And one of the things that I've noticed going through the Pauline epistles is that Paul did not patronize his readers, the saints, the churches. He would encourage them to consider what it is that he was saying. He would give truth to them out of love. And one of the things for you and I to remember is that if we desire to be effective in ministering to people, whether it's your children or whether it's family members or people at work, other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, whoever and wherever it might be, never get to the place where you are just cynical and critical and bitter towards the people that you have opportunity to minister to. And that's one of the things that I know about the apostle. He was never bitter towards those he ministered to. He would get frustrated. And you and I can get frustrated. But here's the thing. He loved the saints and he cared for them. And he wanted them to do well and to run strong in the Lord. He wanted them to strong, run strong with the Lord. And Paul here says, Flee idolatry. He's encouraging them, the believers, to take a stand. It's like he's saying, draw a line in the sand and don't cross over. Temptation acted upon leads to sin, and sin will lead to death. Just death in your heart and in your soul and in your spirit. We almost, in our day and in our society, have an uncanny ability to minimize sin and maximize rationalization why we continue in that sin. 
And much of the Corinthian saints were wondering just how much of the world they could retain and still be a Christian. So Paul says, flee from idolatry. Now remember that idolatry is anything that you are able to enthrone in your heart that takes the place in the priority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that gets in the way of your relationship with the Lord. And he says, flee from it. Get away from it. In verse 15, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. This is wisdom. Paul is pleading with them to take this to heart. Failure to, to heed the warning signs can lead to spiritual disasters, what he's saying. So as we look at this this morning, I know where temptations and where idolatry and immorality can lead to. We don't want to go there, do we? We don't want to go down that road that is filled with pain and sorrow and bondage and captivity and discouragement and depression. Sin destroys lives. And how we will see that so clearly on Wednesday night is, again, we're in the book of Judges. We are seeing that take place, the captivity, the bondage of the nation of Israel because of their idol worship, refusing to to turn away from those idols getting involved with the Canaanites and turning away from the Lord. And so we're seeing that even though they were involved in those things, God's hand of of love and grace and compassion, His Word still given to them, reaching out to them. But yet they would continue down that road, and we're going to see their captivity and their bondage and what it leads to. So as we see that taking place, Paul says to those here, who prided in their wisdom, if you're truly wise, then consider what I'm saying. And Paul's going to compare two tables now. First the Lord's table, and then a second table, the table of demons. He gives the reasons why we should flee from idolatry, because there are demonic forces behind those idols. And so verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. In verse 18, observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So Paul here is saying, think for a minute here. When, when you consider the Lord's table communion, that word communion, of course, means koinonia. True fellowship, oneness is what it means. When we partake of the bread and the wine, there's a oneness that we share with Christ. And there's a communion that we have with Christ or the fellowship that we have with him. We are celebrating our common salvation. So this morning, as we come to the communion table, we have a oneness with Christ. We are one with each other. We all eat of the same bread. We all drink of the same cup. We're becoming one with each other, joined together in communion, joined together in commonness, joined together in fellowship. We're all joined together with Jesus, that oneness in the body of Christ. And surely the communion table, the communion service symbolizes that more graphically than anything else in the church. And so verse 18, Paul says, observe Israel. And in other words, think about Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So Paul is making a reference, I believe, to Leviticus chapter 3. Leviticus chapter 3, the peace offering. 
You see, in the peace offering, it was one of the offerings that would be presented. It was an offering of worship. And the children of Israel would bring their peace offering, offer it to the Lord. And the whole idea behind it was to commemorate that they had peace with God, that of communion with God, fellowship with God. So you would bring that animal to the priest, and it would be sacrificed. The priest would cut a portion of the meat, give it to you, and you would take it, and you would roast it, and you would eat it. The fat and all that was taken, that's prescribed there, was then taken to the altar and burnt there at the altar. As it was burnt, the smoke would go up, and it became a sweet smell and aroma unto the Lord. So the whole idea is you have your portion... And with your family, you're sitting there eating this roast beef or this lamb. And as you're eating together, the idea is, hey, God has received a part of this. I'm receiving a part of this of the same animal. I am becoming one with God. And in that culture, that was very significant. In many cultures today, the whole idea of eating together was that of becoming one with each other. They saw it as you had a loaf of bread and you took that bread and you broke it and you gave it to somebody uh, that you're eating with, and as they ate of that bread and taken of the nourishments and nutrients of that bread, you're eating of the same loaf, and you're eating of the same bread, and you're taking it together, and there was a oneness. It symbolized a oneness with one another. That's why the religious leaders were so upset with Jesus when he was eating with Matthew and the other tax collectors and sinners. They saw it as Jesus being one with them. So Paul is saying to the Christians, the Lord's table communion commemorates our union with the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints had communion with God as they would bring their peace offerings. And so Paul is referring to all of this, getting them to think about this, because it's important for us to understand what the point he is making here. Because now he's going to go back to chapter 8, where this whole thing started about this issue of eating meat that had been offered to idols. Because not only were the Christians buying meat at the little markets there, at the the temples, the pagan temples that were sold there, you know, we know that uh, chapter 8, verse 10 tells us, hey, what if somebody sees you eating there at the temple? But they were going there, they were eating meat, they were bringing meat home to their homes, they were eating it, they were serving it to other brothers and sisters. And so some were being stumbled by this. So Paul is addressing all of this here and going go back, and he's going to make full circle here as we read in verse 19. What am I saying then? (laughs) It's, It's amazing. What am I saying? What have I been saying for the last chapter and a half now? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. So remember back in chapter 8 that Paul, he said an idol that it's nothing. It's in and of itself, it is nothing. It's just wood. It's just metal. It, It cannot see even though it has eyes. It cannot hear even though it has ears. It cannot speak even though it has a mouth. It cannot have understanding. So Paul is is pointing out something here that's, I think, very interesting but important for us to understand. The idol is nothing, but behind the idols, listen, there are demons. So Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17, you can jot it down. It's one of the many Old Testament scriptures that indicate that when the children of Israel offered sacrifices 
to those Canaanite gods, to those false gods, those idols, that they were offering them to demons. So an idol, that statue, that, that little thing that would be propped up in a home, in and of itself, it is nothing, that funny little statue, it's nothing, but, but behind those idols and connected to the idols, there can be demonic influence. So understand this, he's saying, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and also of demons. So is Paul contradicting himself here? Is he contradicting what he laid out so beautifully there in chapter 8 when he said an idol is nothing in and of itself? But now you're, you're going and saying that we can't eat it at the table of demons. So is Paul being confusing here? No, he's not, because here's the key. This is important. As we wrap this, begin to, to really come to the conclusion of what he's been saying over the last couple of weeks. Here's the key. The difference is this. Hey, the, the meat is no problem. Whether it's been offered in the temple in front of an idol and then sold in town, there at the shambles or the marketplace, no problem. The meat is no problem, but the meeting place is. And if you're going into those pagan temples where that meat is being served, not buying it on the streets at the marketplace where you, you don't know where it came from, but if you're going directly where the temple, where you know that that meat has been offered to those idols, where there's demonic activity behind those idols, then there's a problem. So what does it mean for you and for me? Because we might be thinking, oh, we don't have to deal with this issue, meat offered to idols. Okay, there are certain places that perhaps they think we believe that we have the liberty to go into. But what is the activity of that place? What is the atmosphere of that place? Maybe perhaps there's a certain bar. Hey, I have the liberty. I'm going to go in and I'm not going to be drinking alcohol. I'm just going to go in and order a Coke. Well, what's going on in that place? What's the atmosphere of that place? Is it a place where there's devilish activity going on? You may have the liberty to go in and get a Coke and some nachos perhaps, but wait, has that place been dedicated the atmosphere, to devilish activities. It's a dark spot. There are things that are so unpleasing to the Lord that takes place there constantly. Then I shouldn't be there. Because I can get my Coke at 7-Eleven. But if you say I'm going to buy my Pepsi at such and such a bar and get my pop there and, and Paul says there's something wrong with that perspective, you need to be careful. Because certain places... And certain things are dedicated to darkness and demonic activity. That's why he's saying flee from it. Just stay away from it, period. Even if you buy a steak, you don't go to the temple where there's demonic activity by your steak. And so he differentiates the, the idols and then the meeting place. And so must you and I listen. Where we go and where we hang out. What we do and what we watch is there darkness. Would the Lord be grieved if we're hanging out there? And then we come into church and we think everything is cool. It doesn't work that way. And that's the point he's trying to make here. Verse 22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Understand the heart of God. That God is a jealous God. Paul is saying, are you trying to push the Lord to jealousy? So why is he jealous? Now, when we get jealous, you and I, it, it's weird. Uh, 
we feel threatened. It's, it's sin. But the jealousy that the Lord has for us is a righteous jealousy. It's a whole lot different. And he's not jealous for those idols, uh, you know, for those other gods. What he is jealous for is for you and for me. And he doesn't want us to be deceived. He doesn't want us to be stumbled. He doesn't want us to be one that's weighed down. He doesn't want us to be ones that we end up falling into that temptation. He isn't just jealous of an idol, but he's jealous for you and for me. And so he says to you and to I, I don't want you to participate in the dinners at those pagan temples because of the atmosphere that is demonic. And I love you and I care for you and I want you to be blessed. And I'm not going to stand idly by and let you drift away into some idolatrous preoccupation with something of the world. So he warns us, stay away from it. Because he is jealous for us. The Lord told the children of Israel, take heed to yourselves lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he has made with you and make for yourselves a carved image. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. He's jealous for you. He cares about you and me. Don't provoke him. In verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Pope Paul here, once again, giving us this declaration of freedom we have in Christ. We have liberty and freedom in Christ, but not all things are helpful. That is, there are some things that are going to slow you down, will hinder your maturity in the Lord, your running, your race, and we, again, have been told that we are to run a race to win. So don't get involved with anything that's going to hinder that or weigh you down and trip you up in your race in life and as you live for the Lord, as you love Him. So all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Again, in verse 23, there are things that will tear me down, bring me down, not build me up. There are things that will take me away from Christ. Don't bring me closer to Christ. And my desire, and I hope your desire, all of us, is to get closer to Him. Therefore, it may be lawful, but it may take me away from just intimate fellowship and closeness with him. It isn't building me up in him. It isn't growing me. I want to grow in the Lord. I want to grow in my love for him, draw closer to him, be built up in Christ. In verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one's the other well's being. So Paul says, listen, you Christians, not only think through where you go, but what you do for your own sake, but also for the sake of other believers, your brothers. Again, Paul reiterates the point, and what you're doing, will it stumble another believer? And whether we like it or not, folks, we have a responsibility not to harm or injure the spiritual growth of, of another believer. And Paul is lovingly warning us, as he's inspired by the Spirit of God, that when we find ourselves wanting something so bad that it interferes with the love and desire for the things of God, then there's going to be a problem. And we ourselves are going to be tripped up and stumble, and we're going to stumble others as well. The philosophy of the world, which much of the church has taken that philosophy today, is that you live for yourself, and you think about yourself only, and you prioritize yourself. The Word of God says this, you die to self. And you're to look out not only for your own interest, but the interest of others. And you live for others. In verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If you go to eat meat at the market there or buy meat and, you know, buy a pound of hamburger, Paul says, don't ask questions. Don't ask if that meat was offered to idols. Just buy it, take it home, and eat it. 
Don't ask questions for conscience sake because the earth is the Lord. He has given us good things to enjoy. He's created all kinds of good stuff for us to enjoy. Verse 27, if any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. So if an unbeliever invites you for dinner and you go, don't ask a question about where the meat has been, you know, where it came from, if it's served to you. But verse 28, if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. So if you go over to somebody's house and their host sets before you some steaks, ribs, and he says to you, oh, by the way, this morning we offered it to Seuss. Paul says, then don't eat it. If the host brings it up, he bringing up the issue in the first place, either their conscience is bothered by it or perhaps they want to see if you're going to go along with it. So if they're bringing it up, you just say, no, thank you. Please just pass the potato salad and the beans and go on your way. That way you're not stumbling them. Verse 29, conscience I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken for the food over which I give thanks? You may think, hey, I can give thanks for this piece of meat, so why should I pass it up? So what he told, who cares if it was offered to an idol, the host said. It doesn't bother me, but Paul says, verse 31, as we finish. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whether you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. I think what he's just simply saying to us, what the Lord is saying, is think about who you're with. Don't give occasion to stumble others, and don't judge another Christian who eats meat sacrificed to idols, as long as they don't violate their own conscience or somebody else's conscience. So is this confusing? It's a double talk. seems like Paul is saying in one instance eat the meat, in another instance you're not to, 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 to eat the meat. Is he being double-minded? I don't believe that he is. I believe what Paul is telling us, and here's the thing. Listen, this is important, so don't pack it up quite yet. He says you're to be spirit-directed. And there are three things that Paul gives us to help us in determining whether or not we exercise our liberty. These are three very important guidelines, three very important principles here jot them down remember them okay because this is going to help you tremendously i believe three guidelines given to us in these verses and what i am doing can i participate in this can i be involved in that can i go to this place whatever it might be three principles number one and what i am doing can i give thanks verse 30 can you give thanks to the lord as you go into that place as you watch that show as you listen to that song, can you, can I say, thank you, Lord? That's question number one. In helping you be directed whether or not to exercise your freedom in certain areas, when you're watching TV, when you're watching the video, going into that place, if I cannot give thanks for it, maybe I shouldn't participate in it. If I can't give thanks for it, then maybe I shouldn't listen. Maybe I should turn around and go somewhere else. If I can't say, thank you, Lord, this is good. This is good. And maybe I need to turn it off. Or maybe I need to just say, I can't go there. 
So number one, can we give thanks? Number two, does it give God glory? Verse 31, does it give God glory? Does this bring you glory in some way, Lord, in some dimension? Because that's my intention and what I do in being here or eating that or whatever it might be. And Lord, you might receive the glory in what I am doing. And if it does not, and if it takes away from the glory and the honor of the Lord in any way, then you need to pray it through. And then thirdly, lastly, will it stumble another? Will it give offense? And we've been told very clearly not to stumble others. Now those are three questions, three guidelines, very simple, that you and I can ask ourselves in determining, should I do this thing? Should I participate in that? Go to that place in our Christian liberty. Number one, can I give thanks to the Lord for this? Secondly, will it give God glory? And then thirdly, will it stumble anyone else? Three key questions to ask any time that you're involved in a questionable situation or controversial activity. And then, as we are going to see next week, Paul's going to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again... 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.